Welcome to Sin City. Get ready for in-depth chat on new releases, iconic films, and plenty more for you cinephiles. Only on CMRU.ca and Feel Loud Images. And now, to your host, Nick Manenses. Hello there, and welcome back to the city. I am your host, Nick, and I am joined today by a new guest, our newest guest in, well, many months. And that is, of course, Mike Kojahar, head of the MRU Flicks. Hello, Mike. Say hello to the people. Hello, everyone. It's exciting. Excited to be here. Anytime. Thank you for accepting my invitation to the show, really. You're, as I mentioned, you're our fir- our newest guest in so many months, so it's a pleasure to have you here. And what better way to have a- someone who's into films and head of a film club of all clubs? Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, I'm going to plug my club <laughs> real quick, if you don't mind. Uh, MRU Flicks, uh, mru.flicks on Instagram. Uh, join us. And uh, yeah, come watch some films with us. It's always exciting to have new people on board. It's always a pleasure to be invested in cinema as always. And today we will be discussing one of the best films of the last decade and probably of all time, I must say, and it's of course Parasite by Bong Joon-ho. And if that doesn't ring a bell, it was actually last year's Best Picture winner and the very first non-English film to win a Best Picture Oscar, among many others. And you recently screened this film for your club. So what are your initial thoughts on it? Yeah, of course. You know what? By saying that it's probably one of the best films uh, of all time, I don't think you're overestimating it at all. Uh, as a matter of fact, it was the first uh, film that we watched as in our in our movie club, the first one we, we screened ever. And uh, my first impressions on it, you know, as someone who likes a good drama film and also one that has um, many interesting themes in it, I think that's definitely one of the best ones to watch. It's it's a very, it's an amazing film, truly put. It is definitely, it's thought-provoking, it's deep, and it's very funny as hell at the same time. And of course, one thing I always like to discuss are the themes found in the film. Like, yes, we've heard this theme before, how the negative is of capitalism, but it's nothing new entirely, but I think the movie really covers it deeply, really, with the showing both sides, the poor, the Kim family and the rich, the Park family. But I like it how it doesn't say that the rich are bad and the poor are always good. It plays a very neutral stance on both sides. And again, I personally, I don't think the movie is asking us to agree with either side. And I like that. I think that's a great observation you made there. It's a very intricate movie in how it presents, uh, like you said, the class struggle, both of the Park and uh, Kim family. And uh, you know what? Another thing I thought about it uh, when I was watching the movie, as someone who's watched uh, a few Soviet films um, by directors such as Tarkovsky, I've noticed there is an odd similarity between uh, those kinds of films and then Parasite, as well as a few other Korean films that maybe we'll mention. And that is this intricate, intricate examination of when it comes down to it, human relations and how we all interact with each other in our society. And, and 
and it's it's good that you mentioned that the film is really funny aside from being um deep and having a lot of meaning in, in it because at the end of the day it's also a kind of film where you don't have to be very artsy or very into films to appreciate it you can still extract so much thought-provoking value from it absolutely absolutely agree with what you just said yeah and and also it it feels as is key through any oscar film this one is very re relevant even now given how it's not not just south korea but there are different many many countries that go through what the kim family our characters go through whether that's class social inequality and sometimes they're willing to go to any length just to rise to the top you know social climbers and parasite my god first of all aside from having an amazing title it also i love how it plays on the themes of social inequality how the people living in in the basement of the park the park family they are figuratively parasites they are feeding off the the rich like leeching off them for their own gain and by the end of the film even with a different family a german family this time the the cycle will always keep on going that is it's a very tragic sad but yet brutally honest side of things how this is social inequality and as hard as it is to say it can never be broken it will always keep repeating time and time again definitely uh so one thing you said about social climbers and even though this is a korean film i think that notion transcends so many cultural barriers i'm not a korean myself and i've never actually been to korea but I can tell you one thing. Uh, I was just thinking about it yesterday. So you remember how in the movie, um, the youngest um, child of the Kim family, how she uh, forged a university degree for her uh, brother so he could get into the Park family, right? Mm -hmm. To tutor for them. And when the, the mother of the Park family, when she saw it, she was like, oh, yeah, Illinois State University, that's that's so amazing. And I just thought about how that so many countries uh, put Western lifestyle and Western life on a pedestal. And like I said, I'm not from Korea myself. I'm from Ukraine, actually. But anyone you talk to uh, in Ukraine, if you say that you got an American or a Canadian um, education to them, they'll be impressed no matter what university and what education it is. So, and this notion of social climbing, as you said, it really does, like, it's just another another um, way that it transcends so many cultural and national barriers. I love this for that. I like that, like, I can relate to a movie so much, even though I'm not familiar with that culture, but there's so many similarities at the same time. That's right. Indeed, and I agree with what you said. Like, I love how this movie it appeals to both sides, both film buffs and non-film buffs, because it's a very relatable experience as well. And what I love is that this isn't just like how the world is. This isn't black and white or good versus evil. They're not telling us we have to agree with each side because it's more gray and gray. I, I'd have to say the Kim family. Yes, poor as they may be, and disadvantaged both uh, in class and social structure, are also 
not so different from the Park family, how they take advantage of them and how they literally frame two innocent people by the daughter when she puts the panties in the driver's <laughs> car and how they frame the, the housemaid for having tuberculosis. But at the same time, the Park family, they're not angels themselves. They're gullible. Yes, that's for sure. But angels, no. Like they're very, it plays on that, not stereotype, I'd have to say, more like, uh, yeah, I think stereotype, how the rich tend to be very plastic and selfish and look down on people who are lower than them. And this isn't about who is right or wrong or who has the moral high ground. We're like, we're not watching characters. We're watching just troubled and tragic human beings. That's very true. And uh, just to say another thing that I loved about it, about the characters being tragic and alive characters one of the things that I found interesting is um, you can watch the movie as it is and just appreciate the overall story, or you can really look into the many intricate details that it has. One of them being, um, if you remember, when the Parks come back from their um, field trip vacation, right? And the mother asks um, the mother of the um, Kim family to make her, her child uh, Ramdon. Now, the interesting thing about it, right, Ramdan is a combination of ramen and udon, which is, uh, as I've found out, it's kind of like um, associated as being food of the poor people in Korea, right? It's just instant noodles. Right? Everyone can buy them. But at the same time, she asked her to make ramdon with sirloin steak on top. So even though her child, she understands that her child likes to indulge in the food of the cheap people, she still wants to make it somehow live up to their lifestyle and class by putting that expensive sirloin steak on it. I thought that was really like, I missed it, but then I was reading on it and the significance of all the scenes. And I was like, that makes so much sense. Wow. Oh, I did not notice that. Wow. Yeah. I, at first I thought it was, they kept showing it just for, you know, for the sake of food porn. But that, no. That's what I thought too. <laughs> wow. Nice. Good observation there, Mike. Thanks. And Another observation of that, the whole parasite motif, massive spoilers, by the way, after that scene in the birthday party where the, the Mr. Kim murders the Mr. Parker with the knife, yep. we get a close up of a fly on top of his hand, literally a parasite, basically showing that everything is parasitic, is feeds off on the other four for self-gain, almost like uh, the relationship between a crocodile and a plover bird. You know how the, the bird clean, it eats clean the, the parasites teeth, the teeth. of the crocodile, yep. like nature's toothbrush. Mm -hmm. It's a symbi symbiotic relationship. But in this case, it is not a symbiotic relationship. It's almost very one-sided. But And also, it's not just the poor who are feeding off the rich in the film, but the other way around, how they literally take advantage of the poor to for their own advantage. Like notice how the Park family, rich as they may be, they are not very, not very educated or very <clears throat> responsible, seeing how they're bad at cooking. They can't even clean up their own dishes. So they require the help of others to do it for them. And the cycle will keep on going. Definitely. I liked, uh, in the end, again, a massive spoiler, as you said, when uh, the German family actually moves into the new house. 
and uh, Mr. Kim is left in that uh, hidden bunker in the end. And uh, his son dreams about one day making it and buying the house legitimately. And uh, that's a great way to end the movie because from one point you can think there is actually no way he'll ever make it and buy that house legitimately. Or you could say, well, he's a crafty person, as we saw. Maybe he'll infiltrate that house again. Um, you know what? There's so many things about this movie that uh, I haven't even uh, researched that I want to get into. This, like one of them, the significance of that rock that uh, the Kim's friend um, gave him. Uh, his friend from university, right? He gave him a, a rock that is said to symbolize wealth and uh, success. That's actually called a scholar's rock. And uh, they existed in in, uh, in South Korea all the way from the times of Confucius. And there is actually, from what I read, there is a lot of meaning in why it was chosen. To, like th that object was chosen to be specifically a scholar's rock. Oh. It has a lot of meaning behind it that I haven't just... Oh, definitely. Had, had time to read about yet. Oh, and you know that rock, like it did, like it did what it was supposed to, right? It brought them fortune in the beginning, but then that fortune became a curse, right? The the Kim's boy literally, again, spoiler, he literally had his his head injured severely by that very rock. Right, right. The symbolism is phenomenal in Parasite as well, and yes, and you're right. This, their success literally gets caved in, thrown out the window, or in this case, down the stairs, really. And, <laughs> and you're right. I love that ending shot where we see how everything turns out to be fine. The father is reunited with his family, but it turns out that's just what it is and what it will be. It's just a dream, a fool's errand. Because I love how the movie ends on that note, how... Mm it's all unresolved because that's exactly how it's going to be unresolved as great as it might sound. Let's be honest. Kim's father is never going to get out of the house really. And he's never going to reunite with his family because they have already been low, so low in the class that there's no way they can get back up again. And even if he does reunite with his father, it's not going to end well for his father, given how he's now like working with a convicted murderer so either way the outcome will suck no matter what he does it's a uh, morton's fork you know damned if you do uh, damned if you don't definitely and another thing to say about uh just about the differences uh in classes and about how both families are like just their characters are so believable it said like it's kind of kind of easy to miss but in the scene where they're eating at that uh, driver's eatery when they've all, or a few of them have actually got into the house. Anyway, they talk about how their family, after they lost all of their jobs, both parents, uh, they started one cafe and then that failed and they started a different cafe and that failed too. And then we find out that the son, right, uh, of the Kim family, that he not only did well in uh, in in his school, right? He finished, uh, it was mentioned that he finished school well. He prepared so many times for the university entrance exams, and he has military uh, service experience. So it really doesn't seem like it's a lack of trying on their part to have a good life. Right, right? exactly. And even, even shows with 
And with the Park family, it's also evident the children, the the youngest son is very unruly and disobedient. And the daughter, she is an underachiever, if that's what we can say, like falling behind on her studies. And she even falls in love with a in a relationship with a guy who is like 10 years older than her. And what does this tell us? It tells us that the Parks, they really suck at parenting. And it shows, as I mentioned, how very, not very, they're not very classy or responsible, how they are very absent from their children's lives instead focusing more on these unnecessary expenses like food, clothes. They're very like materialistic, really. They see their children more as material needs rather than as human beings. Definitely. You know, that's another thing. Uh, I think it just points to how the parks are actually living in the bubble. Like the bubble is very physical in the film, right? It's just this very new age, modern looking house. And uh, one other thing before I segue too, too far, you'll notice how uh, it's a very distinct shot when the parks family mother comes up the stairs with all the dogs you are forced to notice how to get into their house, you have to walk up the stairs from the ground level. But if you want to get into the Kim's house, you actually have to go quite a bit downstairs to get into there. Just another thing for you. And one other thing that I really want to talk about, notice how for the Parks family child, indigenous people's culture in America is literally just uh, an entertainment form and just a toy for him they ordered all of these expensive uh you could say artifacts from america that are supposed to resemble indigenous people's cultures from there but all he does is well let's call it what it is right he plays cosplay <laughs> pretending as as though he's of a culture that's very much i wouldn't like tragic is not the right word for it that that is very complex right and it's all just like it's just a charade for him. They don't know nothing about it, but yet they do that. Then they order the, what was it, the tent? You remember when he's playing in a tent in the rain? And then the father asks, will he be fine sleeping in that tent in the rain? And she and the mother says, uh, oh, yeah, it, we ordered it from America. Of course, it's well made. Wow. Very, yeah, that's true. Like they're very like politically incorrect, really. And they just assume just because it's from America, it's going to be good because America, again, the heart of capitalism itself. And also another detail, the how do you get into the park house? You literally have to type in a code that a code that is in a very large wall. It shows that they think themselves as above society, like they're closed off from the rest of us as if they're better than us. That is just classism at its finest and also my god that entire build up to the you know when they go to the basement and find the housemaid's husband and along with that scene the entire birthday party scene my god that looks something straight out of a horror movie a slasher film right, everyone really. is dressed in white and this <laughs> <laughs> yeah and also can we talk about how my god this film is just beautifully shot the cinematography is just outstanding really from the the interior of the park house the exterior shots of the south korean landscape it every shot in the film 
has something to say. Like one shot can tell an entire paragraph, really. It's one of the best examples of visual storytelling I've ever seen. Definitely. I think that's the definition of uh, show, don't tell, mm-hmm. and just great cinematography in general. You know, one uh, one other movie that we watched in our film club is uh, Dial M for Murder by Alfred uh, Hitchcock. Hitchcock, sorry. And uh, I can tell, like, there is some other odd similarities that I noticed between Hitchcock and uh, Jung Ban Hu. I'm sorry if I completely butchered the Parasite's director name. But just the cinematography, the focus on the important objects, right? In uh, Alfred Hitchcock's um, Dial M for Murder, there is a scene where that man that, that is hired to kill the protagonist's wife, where he comes up to the building and then he checks his watch. And we see at the time, and I think it was actually one of the plot points that he was like that his timer, that his sorry watch was not wound properly. That and the scene with uh, the Ramdon that I told you about, there, those are details that you can easily miss. But then when you rewatch the movie again, right, the cinematography, it's shot that way specifically. There is focus on these objects for a very specific reason. And you have to kind of, you have to be able to understand why that is. Right. Exactly. Good point. Both in Parasite, yeah, it's it looks beautiful, but also every shot has a purpose from the biggest extreme wide shot to the tiniest close up. Not a single shot is put to waste. And also about the ending, too, it also goes back to what the Kim family father said, how never come up with a plan because Mm -hmm. it's literally going to go to shit. And that's what and also it juxtaposes with the previous scene where their house gets flooded in a sewer. And what does the daughter do? She literally sits in the shitter. And no matter when she sits, shit is going to keep piling up. So it really foreshadows really the end of the film, how this is just one big tragedy. It's dark. But honest, like brutally honest, like shows that the Park, I mean, the Kim family, no matter how much they try to climb the the social ladder, no matter how much, how high they get, they're never going to reach the top. This is not going to have a happy ending. And one more thing about the show, don't tell. I love how the movie says that capitalism, the negatives of capitalism without actually saying capitalism in the entire film. It doesn't need to spell out every single detail for us. It trusts that we can follow this story. Yeah, definitely. You know, uh, one one other film uh, to reference, I just want to talk about Stalker by Andrei Tarkovsky. And uh, having, uh, like having grew up for in Ukraine for half my life and having... Uh, to speak with so many people who grew up in Soviet Union. Like my parents actually grew up in Soviet Union. Like just to, just as an aside, like it's so odd to think about that we're both sitting here today, you know, recording this podcast in in Canada, right? But like my own parents were the ones who grew up in the system that we now only study in textbooks and talk about. I'm sorry to (laughs) take that aside. Anyway, in uh, Tarkovsky's film, in Stalker, um, the main character, there's this uh, monologue that he has. He says, they've taken everything from me and they put it behind barbed wire, right? You can interpret that as uh, someone literally came to his house and they took everything from him and they put it, they took it away from him, right? Now he no longer has access to any of his property. If you watch this film with the understanding that Tarkovsky was talking about communism and the regime that was imposed on people, you'll have a direct, you have a, an entirely different understanding of what it means to have everything taken away from you and put behind barbed wire. Hmm. Right? 
So and, and the same, I think a very similar thing can be said about Parasite. Ah, well, um, I haven't actually seen Stalker by Andrei Tarkovsky, but I'm very familiar with it. And so you're, you, would you say Stalker is basically like the, uh, the Soviet or uh, Russian counterpart to Parasite, how they're both critiques of both ends of the, the spectrum? You know what? In some odd ways, yes. I think Tarkovsky's intention with the film might have been a bit different also because because like stalker like and everything that tarkovsky's made it's very you could say art house right not not that many people like it's legendary in um eastern european countries right former union countries but yeah you know i would say that they're like parasite and stalker can be viewed in a similar lens oddly mm. as different as these films may be I definitely have to check out that movie someday. Mm. Yeah, thanks also. And and yeah, also, um, uh, I'm blanking out here, but uh, the thing also about Parasite, that pivotal scene, the whole birthday party scene where the father, uh, the kid, Mr. Kim kills Mr. Park, it really, it's a deconstruction of the, the poor fights back against the rich, but he does it. He fights back against the rich, the oppressor, but it ends up badly for him because I think that's why he killed him because he he realizes that these people, they're not really as good as they claim to be. They still look down on them like that. He's talking shit about how bad he smell, how the two of them smell. And like a man just died and all he's concerned about is the bad smell. Like that tells us everything we need to know about Mr. Park, how, like, this is something that has been going on when in discussion of rich versus poor, how this, the money privilege, it can corrupt an individual depends on how they use it. When they have too much privilege, they lose the value of what is life itself. Definitely. And in another way that can also be said about the Kim family, I think you, you remember how when the Park family went went away on vacation and they had the entire house to themselves and they started indulging in all of these things. And uh, funnily enough, one of the things that the daughter of the family, uh, she actually eats a dog treat without realizing it. And it's pretty easy to miss in a movie. <laughs> like she's literally chewing on a dog treat and she doesn't even realize because all of this food they never had access to, right? It's... Uh, yeah, it's it's very interesting how the Kim family, once they've started having all of this fortune and all of these things that they may have desired, like they, they even for a few hours got to experience this life that they've always been dreaming of. Mm -hmm. And then uh, you could say the old parasite comes back. <laughs> right. right, yeah. <laughs> and they even kick the poor dog. Oh, what bastards. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> and... Yeah, it is definitely one of the more recent films that I believe deserves to be taught at in film school to any aspiring filmmaker or screenwriter, really. And and here comes the big question, really, because as we know, 2019 had plenty, and I mean plenty of great films and contenders for Best Picture. We got Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, 1917, a Joker. And do you think, uh, of course, this is definitely a personal opinion, do you think Parasite deserved that best picture win and so why you know i actually i haven't seen 1917 yet i've uh, i've seen the joker um 
I do think that Parasite deserves that uh, definitive uh, win, in my opinion. It's just that when you look, like Joker is in itself, don't get me wrong, it's a great film. But for some reason, when you watch Parasite and you rewatch it a second time, you rewatch it a third time, there is definitely that feeling of um, this is the masterful film that it is. It examines all of the things that it talks about so intricately. And uh, there hasn't been a movie like this in quite a while. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And it's not just succeeds both on a like cinematic acting, directorial or technical level. Above all else, Parasite, it has something to say about us, about society at large, about an issue that has been going on for quite a long time and sadly will continue to exist. And I think it's past time, I mean past time, that a film that is not of the English language deserved its spot this time because not all films have come from the West or from the English language. There are plenty, plenty of countries that have different stories to tell. Any film is great in any language. And I'm gr grateful Parasite has given more rise for people to start checking out these different like South Korean or different language films, especially Definitely. with Squid Game, which I'm sure many of you, all of you listening had seen because it's similar to Parasite, I'd have to say. It's a show, but also deals with very, very similar themes as well. Definitely. You know, I like that both, uh, both of these uh, creations, both uh, Parasite and Squid Game, they're not entirely depressing when you watch them, right? They still have these uplifting stories. You care about the characters. The endings, like the ending in uh, Parasite, I'd say is more somber than the one in uh, Squid Games. But at the same time, like the message isn't to give up. You know, we are victims of the system and this is how this is going to be. But I think there is an, an uplifting message to find in these films. And you know what? Another thing you said about foreign films, to quote, um, unfortunately, I don't remember the filmmaker's name from uh, uh, America. He said, "America in America, we shoot everything. And in Korea, they shoot purposefully, right? There is something to be, to be thought about that. Not to discredit American filmmakers. Obviously, there is so many great American filmmakers that I enjoy watching. But there is something to a people's culture that really forms the way they shoot films and what they shoot films about. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. And this film also, uh, it got me among many others interested in the other films made by Bong Joon-ho. And there are plenty of other different like filmmaker, filmmakers from the East who create all these kinds of films. Aside from Bong Joon-ho, we got Park Chan-wook, uh, Chloe Zhao, and... Uh, Akira Kurosawa, who made Seven Samurai, anyone can be a filmmaker. It doesn't all belong in Hollywood. Hollywood isn't the heart of cinema. It's not the place up top where all films come from. It comes from anywhere. It's not just national, international, especially. Definitely. You know what? I think any movie that is shot that purposefully... Um, of course, like I won't kid anyone, it's obviously very hard to put your movie out there if you're just an indie filmmaker and you have a budget of 100 bucks as opposed to a budget of $15 million. But I think any film that is created with such purpose is deserved to be 
seen by people. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. And for its small budget, it even managed to make a pretty good killing at the box office too with $259 million. But as I keep saying before in past episodes, the measure of the success at the box office doesn't equal the impact of the film itself. It doesn't all have to be about the numbers, but rather about the passion and the heart. And numbers. I believe you've heard of some of Bong Joon-ho's other films mm -hmm. like uh, Snowpiercer. I've seen that one. <laughs> and this other one, like this kaiju film, The Host, I believe, where there's this giant fish monster. I really want to see that one. Me too. You know, Bong Joon-ho is actually working on a few. I think there's three projects that he's working on. And one of them is, um, I think, a collaboration with some American uh, filmmakers, too, which sounds very exciting. I'm definitely going to be checking out anything that he puts out. Oh, definitely. Me too. And I've also heard that he is creating a new series on HBO about based on Parasite, which will tell a different story, but with similar themes as the film. That's I haven't actually heard that, but you know what? Very exciting. Yes. I'll see that. Oh, yes. It helps too that he's... <laughs> oh, yeah. It helps too that he's a really great guy to work with. He's very like down to earth and polite to everyone around him who works on this film. And yeah, I have to agree with what you said, how Parasite, it really earned its spot as the best picture winner from last year. And one of the best films of the past decade and mm -hmm. possibly of all time. This will be studied and discussed for many years to come, just as we are discussing about it at this very moment. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, there is a very good reason why we're discussing it today. Mm, definitely. And looks like that is all the time we have left for today's episode. Thank you so much, Mike, for coming here today. Of course. Thank you for having me. And thank you for listening to us. Anytime. And also, don't forget, check out MRU Flix on Instagram. And until then, this has been Sin City. See you next week, same time as always, here on cmru.ca. On the next Sin City. I want Spider-Man! Good morning, New York. Your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man is back. But before he finds no way home, it's time to look back on the marvels of his movies. From Tobey Maguire to Andrew Garfield to Tom Holland. Swing to Sin City next Thursday at 8 p.m. Only on cmru.ca, Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. Now dig on this.